uh, the, it was the last week that we were uh, excusing the mess, and, and the mess that we discussed walking through together was sin. And we saw from God's Word that we had to judge ourselves, we had to judge others, and we had to judge gently according to what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15, 16, and 17. It occurred to me, after teaching that and just absorbing that in my own heart, that sometimes with, when we deal with like the mess, and thank you, Mark, for covering up some of our mess, the mess of sin, uh, that sometimes we, excuse, we, we deal with the mess of sin, and, and there's still this remaining doubt. Even after you've tried to deal with the sin, there's still this remaining doubt. Did I deal with it correctly? Or I thought I did deal with it correctly, and now there's this giant mess. And that doubt can just work all sorts of darkness in our own hearts. I'll tell you about a doubt of mine, because maybe for you, or for friends you might know, not you, other people, of course, uh, maybe has nothing to do with sin at all. Maybe it's just a struggle in your own life. So I'll share with you one of mine. Uh, seminary, probably two or three years ago, uh, in the course of the seminary work, there were times where we would be studying uh, the Word, and I loved all of my seminary experience, except these two semesters, where we were supposed to learn the languages, like Greek and Hebrew, and there were some guys that were just amazing at this, and there was me. And I had a tutor, and I needed him desperately. Uh, but all of that to say, as we tried to understand those things, it was as though the Scripture were like brought into a chemistry lab, if you guys can imagine a chem lab, big sterile lights, and we laid the Scripture out there, and like we got out these magnifying glasses and these scalpels, and we're like dividing all these words up with, man, I was so, wow, it was, it was a lot. But the important thing for me to share with you is that in the course of that, doubt began to not only creep into my heart, but began to grow to a place where I had dramatically more questions than I did answers. And that is a place of darkness. And if you stay there very long, it becomes a place of more than doubt and darkness. It, it can become despairing. My focus was on the Word, but the doubt that creeped in caused so many struggles of doubt. And I wonder if you can identify that like at maybe any point in your life. Maybe it wasn't recent. Maybe it really is a friend or a family member who, who was struggling through something of their own. So the question I think we have to wrestle through today, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, the question I think we have to wrestle through today is can a, can a faithful Christian have doubts about God? And maybe you deal with your doubt differently. Maybe you watch Netflix. Maybe you doom scroll social media. Maybe like Mark, you cover it up with a blanket and you, just like we might do with our sin, we might do that with our doubts. 
where you just say, excuse the mess, God. Don't look over here. A close friend of mine wrote this, and I think it was very descriptive of how far doubt can take us, even into despair. She writes, we're making long-term plans once again. Imagine stopping making long-term plans. I feel like I can see past this month. So maybe it isn't you, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a close family member, but I think we all know someone, if it hasn't been us, who can't imagine leaving their house. They're maybe They may be tuned in online right now, and they can't imagine even getting out of their bed because doubt has clouded their heart so that they have nothing but despair. We can feel debilitated by doubt. Imagine a couple scenarios. If you need to close your eyes and ignore where we are just for one second, it may be crushing debt that is just crippling you, and you wonder, like, if I'm going to drive to church, then i got to drive to the grocery store, and i got to drive to school. How on earth am I paying for all of that? And does God even care about me? I cannot pay for gas. That sense of doubt. Maybe it's a family relationship or a friend relationship where there's a rift all of a sudden, and everything was fine, and now it is not. And you're even partly to blame could God even answer this prayer? Because I am partially responsible for this mess that we're living in. Maybe, maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's your niece, your nephew, your grandchild, your own spouse. And they're beginning to express doubts about a faith that you thought you shared. But now they have questions. And you're starting to wonder, like, can faithful Christians have a doubt. That's our thesis, friends. Can faithful Christians have doubt? Isn't doubt the opposite of faith? I want to encourage us today to not hide like we might our sin, to not hide our doubt. Christians have struggled for thousands of years with questions about God. And that's why we're opening the scriptures today. Because in the scriptures today, we're going to find two men who wrestled through doubt and have come out on the other side. I believe that their wrestling is instructive for our own. They face the pressure, like you face and like I face, to faithfully provide for and lead a family. Before we open the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, illuminate our hearts by your word and provide us more than understanding but by your Holy Spirit, transform us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first guy I want to look at is Peter. And if you're joining me in Matthew chapter 14, 
Matthew chapter 14, we just finished Jesus' amazing miracle where he feeds 5,000. They collect leftovers. Jesus sends them out on a boat. He goes up to pray on a mountain. There's a giant storm. The apostles are afraid. And they say, Peter says, Lord, is that you? They're filled with fear. Lord, is that you? Join me in verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the, what did he see? When he saw the, say it, when he saw the, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took a hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Is this conclusive proof? that doubt is the opposite of faith. Is it true that believers cannot ever have doubts or questions? Can faithful Christians have doubts about God? One more feller we're going to look at this morning. His name's Abraham. If you guys would like to flip there in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 15... So God is in a vision to Abraham. He's promising, uh, he's promising Abraham a great lineage, a great blessing that's going to last forever. And he's in this, this vision, Abraham's saying to God, man, this guy Eliezer, he's like, he's a part of my house, but he's not a part of like my family directly. And he's going to receive all, my, all of my inheritance. And what are we going to do? And, and the Lord came to him and he said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And right here in verse 6, Abraham, it says, And he believed the Lord. Well, then you fast forward just a little bit into chapter 16. And you've got Abram who just in chapter 15 believed God. Scripture says he believed God. Then in chapter 16, maybe he believed God, uh, maybe he chose to take matters into his own hands. So when Abram had doubts, he trusted himself. He trusted his own solution, what he could see. Abram and Sarai created their own solution and literally named him Hagar, right? He had another child by his wife's servant. Now, Abram and Sarai both doubted God. Their doubt led to trusting themselves. So is doubt the opposite of faith? Genesis 17, 17 says, then Abram fell on his face. Now, now God has just renewed his promise to Abram, and this is Abram's response directly to God. He fell on his face and he laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? How could Scripture possibly Give us the examples of Abram and Peter, and then later in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, refer to them as faithful. They not only had doubts, they acted on their doubts. Uh, parents and collegiates and high schoolers specifically, if there's one around you, wake them up, right? Is it, this is your cue to be like, hello, high schooler. Let's all say hello, high schoolers together. Hello, high schoolers. So if like their parents make them listen to the podcast later, they're like, oh my gosh, this one was for me. 
but parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and sisters and brothers and nieces and nephews and friends of the family. It is so important that we hear this word because we have kids who may be getting ready to do this. We have kids who may be doing it right now, but they're hiding it. And then we are like, ah, when we hear this word, because we've never heard it before. So we're going to hear it in church where it's safe. And our word is deconstruction. I'm just a quick survey. Have you heard the word deconstruction before? Has anyone heard? All right, we've got like people that have heard it. This is excellent. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for showing me. So uh, deconstruction, I think we have a little definition of it. Deconstruction is a process of re-examining the faith you grew up with. And we don't need to spend any time talking about how the definition is in flux because it's a new word being applied to the area of faith now. This has happened, as we can see, for thousands of years. But our culture has a new word for it, and we don't need to be afraid of it. What we need to do is we need to hear the word deconstruction and know that it means a re-examination of the faith that, as Moses told the Israelites, I want you to work on passing this faith to the next generation. So this is like a doubt with a bunch of syllables, and our culture throws it around like it's this big, scary thing that we can't do anything about. The evidence is kind of there, too. They'll bring up some tweets that happened not too long ago. Joshua Harris, anybody I kissed dating goodbye? Did anybody, did anybody kiss dating goodbye? I did not kiss dating <laughs> Why is my wife laughing? Uh, anyway, that's embarrassing. Um, okay, so we don't need to talk about that anymore. He was a Christian author, and then he went through deconstruction. Kevin Max, formerly of DC Talk, went through deconstruction. DC Talk is a band that was really cool when I was a kid. Did anybody listen to DC Talk? All right, yeah, Jesus freaks. Okay, and then some lesser known, <laughs> uh, some lesser known uh, artists like Jonathan Steingart of Hawk Nelson, and then uh, Marty Sampson, who is a worship leader at like this Australian megachurch called Hillsong. You've probably heard of it. He also deconstructed his faith, and the result of these four men deconstructing their faith was, in finality, so far, a decision to walk away from Jesus to say he is not the Christ, to fully deny that he is not the Christ. And in doing so, some of them believe that this is re-examining their faith in a healthy way. Friends, I want you to know that it doesn't all happen that way when we deconstruct, because I think deconstruct is a big, scary word for doubt, and I think it's really important. Let's learn, look at one more thing from deconstruction. Deconstruction became popular during COVID, because if I'm making a big logical leap here, you can tell me later, I believe deconstruction became popular during COVID because we were isolated, friends. We were just like, Ad, just like Eve, isolated, given a doubt, produces sin. But doubt does not always have to lead to sin because it depends on who we trust with our doubts. You and I, some of us are practiced at this, and we generally, maybe it takes some time, but we'll eventually trust the Lord with our doubts. But some of us are very new at doubt, and we are afraid to trust God with it because we think that Jesus said to Peter, oh, you have no faith. But did he say that? Church, did he say, you have no faith? Say no. Say no. He said, oh, you have little faith. Jesus didn't say you have no faith, but 
I have had Satan twist that specific verse back on me. And if we're not in his word re-examining what Satan offers, which is always a lie, then we're going to be deceived. We're going to believe that doubt decimates our faith, and it can if we trust it to the wrong place. So Christian theologian Paul Tillich wrote, doubt isn't the opposite of faith, it is an element of faith. So his belief, doubt is a natural part of belief. I don't want to be any more philosophical than that. Doubts do not equate with unbelief. Faith, author unknown, faith is like a muscle that grows as you use it, which means it has to be tested. We see in Genesis 22 that Abram decides to trust God. We see that he trusts him so explicitly that he's called by God to sacrifice the only son that God's given him, Isaac. He's called to sacrifice him, and it's got to look crazy. So it's possible that sometime our doubts, when we trust it to the Lord, we begin to look full-blown cray-cray. But I assure you it's worth the trusting. Abram chooses to trust God in the face of doubt, in the face of the fact that he has no sacrifice but his son. So instead of trusting what he knows, he trusts who he knows. And you may, be, you may be in a place that you find yourself doing this very same thing this week. And it may be the result of sin. It may be the result of trial or suffering or difficulty or our own bad choices. But we go to sleep with doubt. Like Abraham, he goes to sleep with the heaviness of choosing to trust God with this command that you must sacrifice your son. He goes to sleep with that. He rises with the weight of trusting God when he's got some doubts. He deliberately chooses to trust God with a doubt. He cuts the wood for the sacrifice. As that axe falls over and over, he chooses again to trust God with his doubt. They hike for days with the doubt. I can only imagine the heaviness of binding your only son and placing him on the wood and thinking, I don't understand. Some of you don't have to imagine because you've carried thoughts just like those. You have carried doubts and you have covered doubts and you have said, excuse the mess of my doubts to God and to no one else because no one knows. It's like your doubt is this dirty secret that you can't share. Because maybe Satan, like he did to me, he might have told you, oh, you have no faith. Your doubt clearly means that you don't have faith. You're not even a Christian. Maybe Satan has spoken that sort of garbage in your life. But today I'm inviting you to choose to go forward in the face of doubt. I wonder how many of you have memorized this very same passage. It's Proverbs Chapter 3, verse 5, I would invite you to read it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. 
Paul writes about Abram in Romans and says that he's considered faithful. The author of Hebrews calls him faithful. Abram's not remembered for the fact that he had a time of doubt. Peter is not remembered for the fact that he had doubt. James looks at doubt this way. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, like the ability to keep going. It produces that when we experience the testing. And then perseverance will finish its work so that you may be mature, not lacking anything. James writes in a way that he expects our faith to be tested. James expects our faith will be tested. Faith is tested by suffering. It's tested by trial, and it's tested by doubt. Whenever Peter began to sink, did Jesus ask, where is your faith? He did not. He called it little. Do not allow Satan to corrupt the truth and feed you a lie. Instead, I want to encourage us all to consider doubt like dumbbells. Let's just say doubt is dumbbells. There are probably like three people here who are excited to think about dumbbells. We don't need you to raise your hands. We can already see your biceps and shoulders from where we are. So just keep those guns down. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. And in fact, I think it's like the partner. If doubt's like a dumbbell in the Christian life and we go in for a faith exercise, if we pick up the dumbbell of doubt and we move it around and we begin to exercise or build our faith, then what James says is we're going to develop perseverance. And Paul says that perseverance is going to help us produce a character that then produces hope. So if you are the person who can't even see through the darkness of the doubt that you're living in, one of the keys is to embrace the doubt and to choose where you trust it. Who do we trust with our doubt? When I struggled through the time of doubt that I was in seminary, I remember a couple of conversations. Those conversations happened in a biblical community. Biblical communities are inherently messy because we comprise them and we are messy people because we sin. But I trusted doctors Green, Stewart, and Wells with my doubt because I asked them, hey, I learned this and I always thought it was this and these do not align now. I was deconstructing. I was dealing with doubt in my own life as a guy who's not only supposed to lead his family faithfully, but I'm supposed to like lead a ministry which is all about the Bible and Jesus and everything like that, right? Can a Christian have doubt and still be faithful? 
One other person that uh, was really instrumental in uh, my struggle through this doubt was uh, Robin. And here is what you need to hear. Let me tell you how to handle deconstruction and doubt in the life of your family, your friend, your student, maybe your collegiate who's going to go sit in Bio 101 and have a super smart professor introduce doubt like heat-seeking missiles every day of class like it's his job. He has no answers. He's just introducing doubt. So allow me to tell you what ministered to me greatly, and then I hope that it works for you and those who are going to hopefully trust you enough to mention doubt in their lives. My pastor, Robin, listened. Did you guys catch all the magic there? He listened. And then I think because he knew that I was still curious enough to go look at this myself, he said, what did Jesus think? Which was kind of a hard question because there's a whole lot about like that guy and what he thinks in here. It meant I had to read a lot, but I was able to trust my biblical community with my doubt. And one other thing, one other thing helped me through that time of doubt, deconstruction, whatever you want to call that, and that was God's truth lived or expressed or practiced by his people. And it wasn't all just us, his people. There were people outside of here, people who I trusted with my questions And because I was able to see them living the truth that they had learned in his word, living it out in their lives, my heart was beginning to change. I wish I could just show you the way that works, but what I'm telling you is those two things made a difference in my life. So how do we respond when a brother or sister expresses doubt? Do we tell them that your doubt means you're not a Christian? Or you can't doubt because that'll lead to a crisis in your faith. It's a fair question, though, to ask, where are your doubts leading you? Are they leading you back into a biblical community? Because you go to college, maybe even high school, and maybe at that point you only choose to trust a specific and selected group of people who are now throwing these questions at you. Well, I would ask then, if they're going to have the right to ask the question, then what about the community of faith who you've seen live out what they say they believe? Do they have a voice in your search for answers? Would you bow your heads? And I want to I ask you a couple of more things after a few more words. When when we as brothers and sisters and followers, believers, devote ourselves to biblical community, our doubts then can be brought out into the light of God's love as expressed by His people. But when we are outside of biblical community, when we choose to separate and continue separating ourselves and hold ourselves from biblical community, we don't necessarily have a place to go with our doubts. So then the question of who do I trust with my doubts becomes more of a default to, well, I don't know who's around me. Are the people who believe and live as though they do, are they around me or have I separated myself? 
our false beliefs can be corrected by the truth of the Word of God, that can happen when you open His Word. My experience, that happened. That can also happen when we trust our doubts to a biblical community. Our faith in God can be built up. Our doubt can lead to increased faith. The testing of our faith can produce perseverance, which leads to character, which brings us hope. We can recall the hope that He has a good plan for each of those in His kingdom of grace and love when we trust Him with our doubt. When, he trusts, when we trust Him to transform our hearts, Where have you found the time? Just hit pause for one second on Labor Day plans. Because like in 10 minutes, they're going to happen anyway. Where have you found a time to express your heartfelt intention to trust Jesus in your trial, in your doubt, in your suffering? Where is the time in your life where you say, I am right now choosing to place my trust in Jesus when it comes to this doubt that I don't know what to do with? Or what about the place? Where is it in your life that you have a place that you go and you set this place aside to say, I want my heart realigned to Jesus. I want my life to be reconditioned to his expectation because this is not my home. All you've got to do is wake up to know that this is not our home. Where is that place, and when is that time? My guess is it is not tomorrow on the boat at the lake. My guess is that for you, if you're like me, it is this time, and it is this place, and my question then is, will you choose to say it out loud? And I'm inviting you right now, as the praise team plays music, to just like whisper it to the Lord and say, like, Jesus, I'm really not sure about how you're working over here where my family's jacked up and my friends don't trust you and actually my friends have turned against me and I don't know what we're going to do about our finances because there's this huge pressure that I don't even think you see. God, do you even care about me? And you're so afraid that that doubt means you're not a Christian, which is not true. It is not true. Faith is a muscle that we can exercise our faith will be tested by doubt, but will we choose to trust that doubt to Jesus? I contend that you will not choose to do this tomorrow morning. You will not choose to do it tonight. You must choose to do that now. You must say that I, I'm going to find myself someone to talk to at the welcome wall, or it's going to be a women's group on Tuesday or men's group on Wednesday, or I'm going to get in a life group, or I'm going to join the grief share. I'm going to talk to my friend who lives next door who I know has a deep faith in Jesus, and I'm going to say, I have this doubt that I don't know if I can trust anybody with. I'm asking you today to trust your doubt to Jesus and trust those who have lived around you as a biblical community. Father God, would you transform our hearts into the likeness of your son Jesus. In his name we pray and all God's people said, amen.